0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. God is good and it's good to see you in the house of God this morning. Amen. (laughs) Next week we've got a baptismal service here. So if you've not seen anybody being baptised by immersion, come along. We've got uh, some people being baptised. And if you are a believer and you haven't been baptised and you want to talk about that, then please do come and see myself afterwards. Uh, But this won't be the only baptismal service we'll be having. I'm sure we'll be having another one later in the year as well. But do be in prayer for that as we come up for this week. Let me just pray quickly before we start into this this morning. Father... Just let your presence and your stillness come upon our hearts. Lord, it's not about me. It's about you, Lord. You speak to our hearts, and you change us absolutely. Father, come and speak to us today. Come and help us to be awakened, to be strengthened through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was hoping this last... This week, to finish off talking about prayer altars, and just to bring to a bit of a conclusion, some subject that we've been looking at over the last, really over the last five weeks, I've spoken three times, but with John Stevens speaking on the last two weeks, that has also sort of encompassed this subject of darkness. And darkness is an overall topic, overall word that we have been looking at for really the work of the enemy that is coming against us. Uh, So we've been giving quite a lot of teaching to this, but there has been a specific reason behind that. And the reason or the object of our teaching is really this, that we might understand so that we may be able to stand up and fight. If we don't have an understanding of what is coming against us, if we don't understand the principles, even the principle that God is giving us to overcome and to stand in the midst of the darkness, then we're not really going to achieve the things that he wants us to achieve. So there's a great need for us to have understanding. Even though we're talking about a subject that is like of our enemy. But you know what? If we do not understand our enemy, then we're not going to have strategies and the ability to see where he is, to know what he is doing, and to stand against it. And that's what we want to do. We want to be those that can stand against him effectively and rise up. We want to see change come to the church of Jesus Christ in these days. The church is not fulfilling its mission. The church is a friendly group of people that gather together, that sing lots of nice songs and do do acts of kindness. But the church, at least I'm not aware in this nation, that the church is is turning the United Kingdom upside down. When you look at the apostles and people were saying of them, these men have come to our town and these are the men that are turning cities upside down. Is that being said of us? When you come for employment at a new job and somebody finds out you're a Christian, you're not one of those people that turn cities upside down, are you? Yes, I am. We want to declare. We want to be known as that. This is why we're talking about these subjects, because we are fed up, we cannot, it's not just that we're fed up, we cannot continue in this vein. We cannot continue with the church just being a mediocre church. We need to see the church arise against the forces of darkness because of the power that is in the cross and overcome, declaring to the nation that Jesus Christ is coming again and that people need to be ready for his return. Hallelujah. Brother, I'm really grateful that you're stirring these people up sooner or later. This is okay with me, okay? It's okay with me. The trouble is it gets me excited. Now that's the only dangerous thing. So hallelujah. And and there we go. The darkness. Okay, just some of the things briefly that we've looked about. And to be honest with you, if uh, we can't, I can't go into all the details, but... Get some CDs of the last few weeks and you will be able to pick up on this and just get into this. Or even download them off uh, um, iTunes, Romney Town Church. Oh, I haven't got all that stuff in my mind. It's not holding there today. Podcast, there you go. Off the website. On all that stuff. The darkness. Satan is the prince of darkness. He's the prince of darkness. He's the ruler of the powers of the air. And what we have seen in Isaiah is this, that over the nation... There is like a covering, like a veil, like a blanket that is around the people, around us. And this is darkness. He has control over the systems of the world. But through our God, we can pierce through that darkness and open the veil that the glory of God may come and change the nation. That is what we are about but we can't ignore it. We can't let it go away. We can't forget about it. This is an issue that is arrayed against us, against the people of God, against every person on the planet. But we have the opportunity to be awakened in understanding about what's going on. That is why this isn't just, oh, it's one of those sermons about darkness or whatever. This is key information for us to absorb into our spirits. The reason we've been looking at it over a period of time and even repeating things like this now is so that it goes in. So when you're reading in the scriptures or when you're even talking about other things, you start to see the glimpses of what God is doing and you say, I understand the principles that are happening here, the principles of altars and what they need and why I need to give myself to this. Because we want to draw the presence of God. Because his presence is what will bring change and breakthrough. Satan is the prince of darkness. Darkness has created a blanket. Darkness is increasing. It is increasing. It hasn't got to the level yet where Jesus is saying enough is enough. But it is increasing and we know that going on around us. The chief results of darkness are sin. That stirring within people, that rising of the flesh. We even feel it in our own lives. We know that our flesh life is being tempted. We know that we are being seduced. We know that the world and its system is drawing us that way. It's pulling us towards it. Because the power of darkness is against us. And we as Christians are not immune to this power. It affects our lives. But we as Christians have the answer against this power. And that is what we want to remember. We are more than overcomers through him. Well, one of the other chief results of darkness is it brings spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is where you can see things, you understand things, even to the point where we see and we know Scripture. We know the things of Scripture to be true. We know that Jesus Christ is coming back again. We know that he has sent us to go and make disciples of every nation. And we know that there is little fruitfulness being seen in our lives towards those commands that are being given. When we start to see that, that we know the truth, but there is an apathy, there is a numbness, there's a a not bothered attitude. We know the truth, but it's not driving us to say, I must do everything that I can to get hold of this. There becomes this sort of like, oh yeah, hmm, but maybe next week, that spiritual blindness has authority. and We need to overcome it. Because Jesus has overcome it for us. He did not give his life so that we might be just half-hearted. He gave his life so that others can see that life in us and coming through us. That is why he has given himself. We saw that worship can open ourselves up to darkness if we're not worshipping the right thing. Worship is an opening of our spirits, it's the connecting, the opening of our inner man, our our spiritual man up towards God. So that as we open our spirits, we can have communion with the Spirit of God in ourselves. And he can start to bring his word, his instruction, his direction to us. But when man himself starts to worship other things, other powers, when he starts to worship dark forces, and they don't always look like dark forces, but the worship of idols of any sort is opening yourself up to the spiritual forces that are behind those idols, and that can bring darkness to our lives. Why we need to be worshiping God and Him alone. Why we need to be careful about how we're living our lives. Why we need to be careful about what we're doing with our lives. You know, with Jesus when he was in, uh, he was taken to the temple that first. Uh, I, in my mind, the word Pentecost is coming, and in my mind also say, saying, no, it's not Pentecost, Passover, that's the word. The first Passover that he went to, at uh, 12 years old, he went up to the temple, and do you remember when Mary and Joseph came back? They thought Jesus was in the crowd, and suddenly they found out, where's Jesus? Where is Jesus? Who's got Jesus? Jesus was nowhere to be found, so they have to go back to Jerusalem, and eventually they find him in the temple. Now, it says in Scripture that Jesus says to his mum and dad, well, you know, surely you knew I was to be found in my father's house. But actually, if you look in the King James Version, it says that I must be about my father's business. That came to me this week. We need to be about our father's business. You see, this is what the darkness is doing. It's making us think we can forget about those tasks. Those jobs are no longer needed to be done. But every one of us is here even this morning by the divine work of God for his purposes and he has a work for us to do. We must be about our father's business. Not just letting it go, not just being confused, not just being thrown to one side or being put off. We must be about our father's business. Just like Jesus. You know, there's a scripture it says in John, it says this, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Those who accept my commandments. See, One of the things that the enemy will allow us to do is to accept the commandments of God. You can learn them. You can talk about them. You can discuss them. You can preach on them. Learn the commandments of God. It's good for you. As long as I can stop you obeying them. And you will find, I find, we look closely at our lives. We look closely at the commands of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The commands of God. We know them. But it's not just about knowing them. Those who accept my commandments and obey them, they are the ones who love me. We want to be a people who love God. Because you know what? When we know and when we obey, he wants to come and make his home with us. He wants to come and speak with us. He wants to come and abide with us. And that communion. Starts to transform the world around us. Because people are no longer meeting the flesh, they're no longer meeting just the body of this person, they're meeting the spirit of the living God that is dwelling within us. And His love starts to impact and transform their lives. That is what we're about, folks. So, why are we learning about darkness and the Father's? Strategy to overcome, because we want to be about the Father's business. We are disciples, and we want to follow in the ways of our Savior. And we know that there is a broken world, a broken world that is hungry to know release. People want to know the way of salvation, but they've wised up this much, that they're not looking for hypocrisy, they're not looking for half-heartedness, they're looking for God. They're looking for God. That is where it comes down to us. We have been given much, therefore we've got to go and share it. We must share it with them, because they are desperate to hear. Too many people out there are finding their answers from the bottom of a pint glass, or just by going and buying another thing at the shops, because they're looking for something, or having another sexual relationship, because they're looking for something, something that has depth and meaning. Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for the world today. He is the only way. Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the Redeemer of mankind. That is what people are looking for. Last time we started to look, or the last time I spoke, I was looking at God's strategy for overcoming this darkness. His strategy was the establishment of altars altars. You remember we talked about Abraham and how when Abraham went into the land, he was promised this land, he went into the land, and as you start to look in Genesis to see what he did, everywhere he went he was building altars. What is an altar? An altar is a place where we're drawing the presence of God. An altar is like a gateway to heaven. And you remember that place at Bethel where Abraham built an altar, but much later on Jacob went This morning, my mind's going a little bit. Anyway, he went there, laid his head on a stone, and he saw an opening in heaven, and like a a ladder, and like the angels of God ascending and descending. You see, in that place where an altar had been established, there was an opening in the heavens, and it was starting to affect the spiritual climate of that place. And this is how Abraham took the land. And if you look through Scripture, when you're reading Scripture, many times you will see in the Old Testament the establishment of altars. And you know what is an altar? It is somebody who is coming to a place and saying, God, I need you to come. I'm calling for you to come. Altars are a strategy that God has raised up. And now what we want to try and understand is, okay, we know that altars are a strategy. We've got to get hold of them because altars is a bit weird. It is a bit weird for us, and we're not talking, and I hope to unpack this a little bit today, we're not just talking about in our homes, like, let's take the TV, the naughty, wicked TV, but let's put some stones there, and let's have a little bit of fire, and let's bring a a, a lamb or something in. We're not talking about that, because that really is weird. (laughs) Just, We better have the TV, otherwise you're going to have all sorts of problems. What we are talking about is an altar, is a place of communing with God. It's a place of connecting with God. Look, Christians, we're not just talking about Christians as being a people who have something to do with God or who go to religious services. We as a people are people who are on a journey to a deeper and deeper relationship. With God. Where the reality of who God is, is made known to you. So that when people say to you, is there a God? You know, I'm not really quite sure. You're saying, let me give you testimony. to what this God has spoken and what he has done in my life. How He is transforming me. How He has changed me. I was once like this, but now I am like this. I'm not a perfect example, but my God is taking me forward. I know Him, and I know that He is able to do abundantly above everything that He has done so far in my life. It's relationship. It's real. cannot be denied. That's why it comes when persecution comes, and people get to the crunch point and they've had a real relationship, they say, I don't care what you do to me. I cannot go back because he's real. You can kill me or whatever you want, but I belong to Jesus, and I will stand for you. So altars aren't this stones in the front room, but they are a meeting place, a place that we can come to for prayer, and for worshipping God, a place where we can commune with God. Now this morning I want to quickly go back, and it is going to have to be quick. I'm going to increase the rapidity of my speech <laughs> to gain more and more time. Uh, back to the Bible. Okay, so for a heading this morning, the priest, the altar, the sacrifice. The priest, the altar, the sacrifice. I'm going back to the Old Testament briefly just to talk about the things that you will understand. You know in the Old Testament we see a whole system of priests, of altars, of sacrifice. And I'm just going to show us things about that so that we can understand what we are doing and how we are involved in it today. Because part of us would say, well, all of that's finished with. You're talking about altars, that's finished with. That's Old Testament, we're in the New Testament. Yes, we're in the New Testament but it is the same God and it is the Spirit of God that we are wanting to commune with today, that he will help us today. So we're looking at principles here so that we may gain understanding. The priest, the altar, and the sacrifice. First of all, the priest. In Exodus, we get introduced to the whole system of the priesthood. This happens when the children of Israel have left Egypt, and there we see this. Have Aaron, this is what God spoke to Moses, have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites with his son Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. We know that of all the tribes, and there were different tribes, the tribe of Levi was set apart as people who were in service to God. And out of that there was a family line, the line of Aaron and his sons, and they were priests of God Most High. That is what their function was. And as you read there in Exodus and in the early books of Moses, you will find out about the tasks that they had to do. The task of the priest was to go to the altar and to look after the sacrifices that were coming to the altar. They had to attend to the fire. They had to make sure the fire was kept burning on the altar. And physically, that meant just as you might have a fire, an open fire in your home with logs, you know that if you put a few logs on and you light them and you get the warmth of that, well, it doesn't remain like that. It quickly burns down. You've got to refuel. You've got to keep that fire going. And the work of the priest was to keep the fire on the altar going. And even as we know, when we burn wood, you get ashes, they need to be cleared out of the way. So there's a continual work at the altar that priests have to do. And that's what these priests did. That's the work that we read of in the Old Testament. Well, when we come to the New Testament, we are all, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, are declared to be priests. So suddenly we find ourselves in the same thing. Hey, we're following on the line of Aaron. He was a priest. His sons were priests. Now we are called priests, priests of God Most High. What do we do as priests? What did they do? Well, they served in the temple. But they were attending the altar and they were making sure that the fire was kept burning on the altar and that the ashes were kept cleaned away. And we ourselves, as priests, need to do the same thing. Now this is why we say, well, you know, as a Christian it's good for you to read the Bible and to pray. Hang on, that is so putting down the task of what we're supposed to be about. We're priests of God Most High. Our job is to keep the fire burning. Not just, you know, every now and again put a log on. It's to keep the fire burning. I don't want you to be lukewarm said Jesus, to the church in Laodicea. I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'm not interested in this half. I want red hot because he wants a fire that is burning. We are priests. We have responsibility. Not just somebody else. We as Christians have responsibility to keep the fire on the altar burning. It's our job. We have a responsibility to clean away the ashes. What are the ashes? Well, the ashes are our sins, our things, the corruption that comes to us. We need to keep that cleaned up. You know, so often for us, we we sin one by one by one. But when it comes to repentance, we just do a block booking. God, I sinned. Sorry. Oh, hang on a second. (laughs) Hey. God wants us also to be careful about how we repent. You know, it's not just, oh, I sinned today. I'm sorry. Thank you. Well, what did you do? What did you do? Come on, we're supposed to be looking at our lives. We have to clean up the ashes. We need to get them out of the way. It's important that we repent. It's important that we deal with issues. It's important that we confess our sins because we need to clean the ashes off of the altar and we need to be putting on fresh fuel. Where are we going to get fresh fuel from? By getting into the Word of God. Let's keep feeding this. Let's keep the wood coming in that we may have fuel to go on our fire. That is the priest, let's keep moving. The priest, the altar. The altar is a place of sacrifice. Again, if we turn to Exodus, we read about the instructions for the building of the tabernacle and particularly the building of the altar. Exodus 27, build an altar of acacia wood Three cubits high, it is to be square, five cubits long, and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners, so that the horns and the altar are of one piece, and overlay the altar with bronze. That was the instruction that God gave to Moses for the establishment of the altar that was to be at the tabernacle in the desert. But he also gave Moses other instructions Make an altar of earth for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings your sheep and your goats and your cattle. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. So we see in the Old Testament, altars were real places, they were constructed, whether it be out of a wood framework covered with bronze, or whether it be stones that are being put there, or even just piling up an area, of a mound of earth, upon which the fire was to be put. Altars were places that were made, that were constructed. We can see that. They would have seen it. Now, how does that relate to us? Where is this altar for us? I've already said it's not in our living rooms. Listen, the altar that we have is our hearts. The altar that we have is our hearts. And that is the altar that we need to attend to. That is why now when you think, my heart... I can confess my sin and clean the ashes off the altar of my heart. I am carrying this altar wherever I go. So that means when I go into my living room, or whatever room it might be that you decide to say your prayers at home, that place becomes a place, if you like, where the presence of God can come, because the altar, your altar is there. Lord, Come to this altar. You are calling the fire of God to come upon your life. Can you see that? So now it's not just something that's a way, something that's, oh, that's what they did. It doesn't really make any sense, but it had an effect upon God. Yes, it does have an effect upon God. Because as we sacrifice good sacrifices on the altar of our heart, it draws his presence. He delights in that sweet-smelling savour that comes from the altar of our hearts. We're not using actual fire. I'm not suddenly suggesting that fire-eaters are those that are trying to light the altar inside of them. But we do want passion for Jesus. Passion. There needs to be that sense of, yes, there's something that is like a fire, that is like a charge that is within us. That as people are meeting us, they say, Hey, whoa, it's like you're on fire. Yes, I'm on fire for Jesus. That's the fire on the altar of my heart. It's burning for him. The priest, the altar, and thirdly, the sacrifice. When you look at the book of Leviticus, and how many of us have read the book of Leviticus, and when you get to it, you sort of think, like, slightly heavier sort of book. There's a, you know, like slow down in your momentum of reading. Actually, I don't know, I, I speed up, actually. <laughs> I'm going to get through this book. But, you know, when you start to think in terms of what we're talking about this morning, this book is telling you about sacrifice. It's telling you about the quality of sacrifice. It's telling you about the need of sacrifice. It's telling you about what that sacrifice does before God, whether it's a sacrifice that is being given because of sin, a guilt offering, or whether it's a sacrifice that's being given for fellowship because you want to have fellowship with him. It tells you a lot that actually applies to our lives today. But because you're looking at it through the glasses, that's what happened. Sometimes we can't bring the goodness of what it's telling us into our lives today. But in Leviticus chapter 1 1 to 3, it says this, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting, so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. If the offering is to be a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, he is to offer a male without defect. One of the things you pick up on very strongly in Leviticus is this. Look, the offerings you are to bring to me are to be top quality. You're not supposed to bring the sheep with only one eye. No. Or the one with the broken leg, you know that has no other real use. You are to bring offerings that are fully acceptable. You are to bring quality. The best thing is supposed to be given. Not just the leftover bit. Not just that when I'll fit it in if I've got time bit. He's looking for sacrifices that cost us. something. He's looking for a sacrifice that is pure. He's looking for a sacrifice that is without defect. We need to, in our own hearts, decide that we're going to offer our best to God. If the altar is our hearts, then by our will, we can make decisions of our lives to offer quality sacrifices to God. That's why... Will God receive five minutes of your time? Of course he will. But if you're really looking for a relationship, would we describe five minutes as being quality? Perhaps not. Are we just saying like, well, oh yeah, God, quick, oh, quick yeah. Alright, I read three verses of Ezekiel. Good, right, let's get on with the day. You know, Look, I'm not knocking it because sometimes we've got to start somewhere. And I appreciate we've got to start somewhere. But the Lord, our God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who knows the name of every star that is placed, the one who knows the name of every person, not just their name, where they live, what they're doing, what they're thinking, what their purpose is, how he can work, his purpose is in and through their lives. That God, He deserves the very best. Hallelujah. He deserves the very best. He deserves our lives. We don't want to be bringing to him sheep and goats, as it were, that are broke. Come on. What's the matter with you? You've got no legs. Come on. Not that one. Just dragging it along the ground. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit silly. It amused me, that's all. Um <laughs> But you know, one of the problems we've, had, we've got ourselves, Romans 12 verse 1 says this, I urge you, therefore brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Can you see what Paul knew and understood there? Paul knew about the principle of altars and of offering his heart, and of having the fire in his life. He knew about that. And he was saying, what is the offering? What is the sacrifice I'm going to put on that fire? I need to offer my body, my life, all that I am, all that I have. I need to offer it to him. A living sacrifice. There's one problem with us as living sacrifices. We are just that. We are living In Leviticus, those sheep and those goats, they were dead. So when it's dead, you put it on the fire, it stays there. How often have we said, Lord, all of me. When you're doing that, it's like you're jumping onto the altar. But we're still alive. It's a bit hot here. Let's get away from that. The problem is we've got legs. And it's true to say this. Maybe too often for us, we run away from the altar. The sacrifice doesn't stay there. The fa- sacrifice is not consumed. We're running away. Living sacrifices, Lord, whatever it takes. Even in the pain of this moment, even in the oppression that I'm, I, I trust you, Lord. I still offer myself here. I am staying here. I'm not running away. The priest, the altar, and the sacrifice. We are the priests servicing the altar. Our altars are our hearts. We need to keep the fire burning there. Our sacrifices are our lives. We need to give them to God. Now, I do just want to go through three more quick points today because I want to... Bring this to a close, really, on this stage. The, The strength of the altar. The effectiveness of the altar. The amount of God's presence, if you like, that is really being drawn to the altar depends on something. It depends upon the commitment of the priest. The commitment. The strength of an altar depends on the commitment of the priest. The regularity with which that altar gets serviced can you see this language now the old testament they were to bring sacrifices daily daily in fact more often than daily it was in the morning and in the noon they came to bring sacrifices the commitment of the priest the regularity of the servicing of the altar how much he's giving into that how much he's giving himself to that affects the power of that altar. Now, at this point, rather than us looking at ourselves, I just want to highlight something about another religion. That of Islam. The commitment of Muslims. Now, I'm just doing this so that we might have our minds opened. We know what worship does, right? We've talked about this. We know that worship is the opening of ourselves up to something, right? Right? And we know that when we're worshipping God, we're opening ourselves up to God. But we also recognise we can worship other things. And that can have effect. Okay, let's just look then at our brothers and sisters who are Muslims. Somebody who is a strong Muslim believer, they are expected to pray five times a day. Five times a day. The dawn prayer must be observed during the two hours before sunrise. The noon prayer is due when the sun declines from its highest point at noon. Afternoon prayer can be observed during the three to four hours preceding sunset. Sunset prayer becomes due after sunset. The night prayer can be observed after the twilight disappears from the sky. Why? If you ask a Muslim, why do you pray five times a day? The reason that they pray five times a day is because Allah wants us to remember him and pray certain prayers at certain times of a day. I find this challenging. I find it challenging. Because that is how they are servicing their altar. That's the point, okay. I just want to get the picture in our minds. Those are the parallels I want to drink. I'm not saying that we've got to do this. I'm just saying, look what they're doing. Look at the effect that that has. Okay. Now, when they pray, they are praying towards Mecca. I think you would understand that. Often they have a prayer mat, and they will face towards Mecca. Now, Mecca is in Saudi Arabia, and actually they're praying towards the Kaaba, which is this sort of like a cube-like black box that is in the middle of a big mosque in Mecca. That's what they're praying towards. They're praying towards that place. And you know that if you are a devout Muslim and you have the ability, you're expected, according to the Quran, if at all possible, once during your lifetime, to pay a pilgrimage to that place. And they have this big, big festival every year where they have this big pilgrimage that goes there. And in that mosque, around that cube, they will have like six million people passing by that cube in a day. Now think of it, the power of what we've been talking about, the servicing of altars, what that is doing and what effect that is having. Folks, when we come to prayer and we find apathy, we find numbness, we find slumber, is it really worth it? Can our God do these things? Why am I doing this? I've got better things to spend my time on. Do you see the weight of darkness that comes against us? Do you see the results of spiritual blindness that it has upon our lives? Do you have that feeling even sometimes, oh, I can't be bothered, I'm just not in the right frame of mind, I'll come back to it. There's that sort of like feeling inside of you. Our God is worthy. For us to have a raging fire on the altar of our heart he is worthy this is the commitment of the priest the commitment of the priest affects the authority the power of the altar the quality of the priest secondly the quality of the priest's life affects the authority of that altar in samuel we read a situation where we see about the quality of the priesthood. Samuel 3, verse 1, it says this, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So we see there a picture of the spiritual climate of the nation of Israel at that time. The word of the Lord was rare. Well, hang on, this is the God who's supposed to be leading us. This is the God who's supposed to be directing us. This is the God who we're supposed to have connection to so that we know what he wants us to do and then we can go and do it and we can see his kingdom being established on earth. This is the God. But the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And if you... Well, you would already have read chapter 2 if you'd got to chapter 3, unless you're reading the Bible backwards, <laughs> which would be a very strange thing to do. Um, chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 2, it, it reads like this. Eli's sons... <coughs> were wicked men, they had no regard for the Lord. Eli's sons were the priests. Okay? They were the priests. Eli's sons were wicked men, they had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat meat was still being boiled, the servant of a priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first. And then take whatever you want. The servant would then answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Then further on it says this, Now Eli, who who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And you see this. These are the priests, and they were supposed to be servicing the altar of God. They were actually taking the sacrifices, they were doing the work. But their hearts were totally corrupt. They were just more interested in themselves. They were interested in what they could get. The priests had a right to have part of the offerings that were given as a fellowship offering. So they had a right, it was for the priest, But they were saying, look, hey, we want it before it's even been burnt before the sacrifice had been given, before the respect had been given to God, they were wanting their share. And they were doing what? Well. There were some lovely girls around. They were having sexual relationships with the people around the temple. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. The quality of the priest's life affected the power and the authority of the altar of Israel. The word of the Lord was rare. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what is the quality of our lives as priests? What's the quality of our lives? I'm not suggesting that we're sleeping around. If we are, it has to stop. It has to stop. We know that God wants to transform us. Are there things that we're giving ourselves to Are we more interested in what we can get, in what we can have for our lives, so that our lives are comfortable, our lives are secure, rather than giving to God what belongs to Him, first and foremost? Maybe the way that we are treating the sacrifice and the altar of our hearts is affecting our ability to hear God, because in those days, in that situation, The word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now, praise God, in that time, God had sent Samuel to be a man after his own heart and to draw the people back because he wanted to bring up a new priesthood. And for us, he wants us to be priests of God Most High, that we service the altar of our hearts effectively and we draw his presence. So it does matter, the quality of the priest's life, the commitment of the priest, those things matter and they give authority to an altar. And lastly, the quality of the sacrifice that is bought. Now we've already spoken about, we don't want to have defects. You know what? I looked up, how much would an offering cost now if we had to do it the old way? If we had to bring a lamb, six-month-old lamb, which is what they're sort of required of, it would cost you £114. took quite a lot of working out, and I had to go to all sorts of farmyard sort of pricing (laughs) and stuff. Anyway, £114. Now, this is the thing that shocked me. I thought, well, just what? How much would it cost me if I needed, because of the sin in my life, to bring a guilt offering daily? £41,610. Sacrifices supposed to cost something. If I had to bring, literally, a sacrifice, I wouldn't have enough money to be able to do it. I would go bankrupt. Praise God that Jesus is our sacrifice. Amen. Praise him that he has come. But that doesn't mean that we're just saying, Jesus, that's enough. He's looking for genuine sacrifice that costs us something. The quality of the sacrifice matters. Think of Abraham. He was asked to offer his son, Isaac. Go back and look at that story. Look at the heart of the man. He obeyed. He took his son, even his son's dad, dad, what's going on? You've got the wood. You've got the fire? Where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? What would Abraham have been thinking? Just mumbled something, I think. What was that, Dad? You'll find out. He built the altar. He laid the firewood. He bound his son. And he put him on it. He lifted the knife to slay his son. And just as he's about to bring the knife down, the angel of the Lord says, stop. God was testing Abraham to see what was in his heart. but He was asking him to bring the most precious sacrifice. Now the glory of that is that God provided a sacrifice in the place. The quality of the sacrifice that we bring is important. And God may be requiring us to bring something of a new level. He may be asking us for more time. He may be asking us for, to give some money to something. He might be asking us all sorts of things. Because it can be different at different stages. As we see in the life of Abraham, it was different at different stages for him. But it came to a point where he said, I want you to give me your son. Maybe there's things in our lives. Maybe it's our work. Maybe there's stuff that just has got a much higher priority. God says, bring it to the altar. Put it on the fire. Let it be an acceptable sacrifice because he is worthy. If we are going to build altars, that is God's strategy for overcoming the darkness and for drawing his presence, then we need to be a well Looked after priesthood. We need to be committed priests. We need to be priests who are living careful lives. There's a quality about our lives. And we need to be bringing quality sacrifices onto the altar of God. Rick, if you can come back up. Let's just, Let's just pray. Perhaps it would be good for us just to lift up our own voices and just to bring yourself before God and say, God, please, come and help me. Come and help me to build an altar in my life. Lord, I don't want to turn away from this point. I want to give my life to you. I want the altar of my heart to be burning with your fire continually. I want to service that altar effectually. I want your presence, O God, to come upon my life daily. I need you, my God. I need your help, O Lord. Stir me once again, Holy Spirit. Come and stir our hearts. Come and stir our hearts with your holy fire. Come and turn, turn us towards you, Lord. Let our eyes be focused upon you. Lord, let your fire come upon us. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Help us with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in all of these things. And Holy Spirit, come and enable us. Come and enable us to connect with our Father so that the work of heaven may be fulfilled in our life. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.